Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am hopping up and down. I'm so excited to be talking with today's guest, Chef AJ. Hello, Chef AJ. Hi. Hi, Howard, co-author of my favorite book. Oh, you're so sweet. You, well, you didn't need to write the whole book. You could have just written page seven, because everything a person needs to know is right there. You know, I, I wish we talked before I'd written pages, you know, eight to <laughs> 400. <laughs> But truthfully, I believe it's page seven. I'd have to grab my copy. It's fine in my bed. It's like my Bible. But what you said, something with the effect of the optimal diet for the human being is a whole food plant-based diet, minimally processed, with little or no sugar, oil, or salt, something like that, if I'm correct. And that's really all a person needs to know to be healthy. Right on. And and you know what? You, yeah. you are you are one of the best um, whole food soundbitists I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, but he, it's so true. I mean, it's it's terrible that we, you know, have to have a movement to teach people what is just so natural. It was in our ancestors' history for millions of years that this is even like a conversation. It's so weird to me that we have to even tell people, like, processed food isn't good, you know? It, it's crazy. Right, or can, that supplements can, aren't good, you know? Right. Can you it, imagine it someone... Means, like, 300 years ago mm-hmm. trying to explain, like, trying to explain, like, I have this idea for career. I'm going to tell people to eat real food. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy now. I mean, like, who would have thought that this is, we have to convince people what is just so natural, and to me, it's just such common sense, you know? Right, Right. I remember seeing something on Facebook, which is, you know, the best diet is, you know, um, unprocessed, plant-based, organic food, or as Jesus called it, food. Right, exactly. It's 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 just so weird to me that that you know I just did a a two hour radio show and we were talking about oil like and and that it, even that we even have to convince or debate that oil's not healthy that it's just we're we're so in the minority here when it's just it's it's like the emperor's new clothes it's like you know it's like all the people for years thought the world was flat remember and if if you disagreed you could be persecuted or prosecuted I always get those words mixed up but it, it sometimes I think we're like are, are we we're the only sane people. Hmm. Yeah, I always, I always wonder, I always worry about myself when I think that. (laughs) 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 Well, at least when it comes to this topic, I don't mean in general, but I mean to me, it's just, it's so obvious to eat whole food and not eat, not whole food, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Well, you know, I, I was I was thinking about this a lot recently because my son takes guitar lessons from a woman who has, um, I guess, electromagnetic sensitivity, which is, you know, so like everything, you know, the smart meter the phone uses, people's cell phones, uh, fluorescent lights, like everything throws her off balance. And so wow. she, she, you know, painted her, her studio with like lead paint and then covered it up again and, and, and bought these meters, um, hmm. you know, to, to be able to tell where there's, you know, radio frequency and electromagnetic frequency. And she was showing them to me. And no matter where you are, the, the the thing is showing like at least point zero five, and so I, I got curious about it. And I went, to, I looked on Amazon, and I was looking at the reviews of this stuff. And it turns out almost all of these machines are used by paranormal hunters. <laughs> right, so they're 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 going around that you know, and they the, the theory is, I guess, you can sense Gaussian or, or radio frequency from ghosts. But what occurred to me is these days. You, you know, if you're a ghost hunter, how could you find ghosts when 
everywhere the whole planet is blanketed with these rays and and i got thinking mm-hmm. it's it's kind of the same thing about food that you know yeah. we can't even tell what's what's healthy anymore we can't you know doctors don't think the diet has any effect because we're just so blanketed with foods that are mm-hmm. doing us in right it, it, it's just amazing to me, especially because, you know, it, that's the thing, because doctors aren't given nutritional training in medical school. If they are, it's like 40 minutes. Both my brothers are doctors, by the way. They got no nutrition in four years of medical school. And because doctors don't say it, therefore, it's, you know, it's not true. Because if, if, if it was true, my doctor would tell me, you know, if people come to my class, Howard, that are morbidly obese on 14 medications with preventable diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and type 2 diabetes, and, you know, I, I try to convince them to at least for 30 days try a whole food plant-based diet without, you know, sugar, oil, salt. And it's like, well, I'm going to the best doctor, and I want to say, yeah, he's a great doctor. He's keeping you fat and sick and on 14 medications, you know? <laughs> but, you know, I don't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. But it's, again, people, you know, like the, the white coat. Like, you know, I wear a white coat, too. It's a chef coat, but... You know, people like, well, but if it was true, my, I would have heard it from my doctor. And that's why it's so cool that bill that Dr. McDougall wrote where, you know, I forget what it's called, AD something or other, where doctors at least have to tell patients that are going to have non-emergency open heart surgery that there's another choice, that there's another way. And, you know, it, 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 it's fine. People can eat themselves, dig their grave with their knife and fork. It's their choice. But I get people that come to me. After three open heart surgeries, and they can have no more, you know, interventions, and they, I, I hear, I hear about them. Dr. Esselstyn sends them to me, and they're like in tears, saying, "You mean this is all I have to do is eat this delicious food you make? Nobody told me. I didn't know. People should at least have the right to know, you know. I mean, I think you know, forks over knives should be required viewing, like in kindergarten, so that people can make informed choices. But so many people don't know. Yeah, in fact, you know, that's what, one thing we're doing. Um... You know, I'm working with uh, with Dr. Campbell's eldest son, uh, Nelson, in in North Carolina, in a small southern town near me, um, where you know it seems like a very unlikely place for folks to be eating healthy Ooh. food. We're providing them with ten days of lunches and dinners and guidelines for breakfast and snacks. And you know, you're you're talking about you know just try it for thirty days. I came into this project thinking that thirty days was the minimum that we would need mm-hmm. to convince people. It turns out after 10 days, people are losing 15 pounds, eating as much as they want. Their triglycerides are dropping from like 600 to 100. Their cholesterol is going from the 300s to 150. Um, They're feeling better. They're, you know, they're having embarrassed conversations about the fact that like, is it normal to poop every day? <laughs> I had. It's I normal had no- not to poop every day. You know, there's a great book. Everybody poops, but Howard, it's not normal to poop every day. I was watching Dr. Oz, and he had a whatever that doc, what kind of doctor deals with pooping, gastroenterologist. He said, you know, normal is what normal for you if you only poop once a week. No, that's not normal to poop once a week. If you go, I mean, what if our dogs only poop once a week or our cats? You're supposed to eat. You're supposed to poop. Like people in countries, you know, that's what they do. They eat. They squat. They poop. You're supposed to poop like at least once a day. Maybe even more. Well, I mean, I was I was actually you know not not to get too gross, but I was wondering how much of our, our weight problem is actually just like a traffic jam, like twelve cars back. Yeah, because that's because everybody's full of shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there there goes my, my there goes the PG rating of this podcast. Yeah, pardon my French. The F, what, what's that called? The FAA or what? no? That's the Federal Aviation. Is uh, going to be all over this show now. Well, luckily, <laughs> luckily the government's shut down, so we're okay for a while. 
Yeah. yeah, but it's true. I mean, like, you know, I don't know if this is an urban legend, but they always talk about Elvis, that when he died, his colon was impacted and he was full of, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it is true. I mean, it is normal to poop, and it's not normal not to poop, but when you eat a whole food plant-based diet, you're eating foods that's high in water and fiber, so you're going to poop. When you eat the standard American diet, you know, Americans eat over 92% of their calories from animal products and processed food, neither of which have water or fiber. And if you're eating 92% of your calories from fiberless, waterless food, you're not going to poop the way you do when you eat this way. Right on. Yeah. So we've, we've, so. Alre- we've already sort of jumped in. I would love to... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even let you finish introducing me, but I'm such a fan of you and, and your work. And when I met you, I was just you were just so fun, and I just really, you know, I was just very excited when you asked me to come on your show because I enjoy talking to you because you're well, fun. You're a fun guy. Why is Howard like a mushroom? He's a fun guy. <laughs> That's kind of silly. <laughs> Sorry. Oh boy. I'm 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 trying I'm trying to extend the metaphor, but I think I'm just going to leave it alone. Less, okay. less, less editing for me later. <laughs> yeah, no, but you get it, like fun guy, like a mushroom with fun guy, and you're a fun guy. You get it, right? I do get it. I do get it. Okay, <laughs> okay. just in case anybody listening didn't get it. No. <laughs> so so I, I also, you know, fell in love with you when I heard you speak and I saw you do your, your, your demos. Um, mm-hmm. And I also I um, I prepared for this interview in two ways. I I, um, I read your book, which you kindly sent me, unprocessed. Um, Thank you. And I, and I have to I have to admit that you know the way I prepare for these interviews is you know a few days early or a week early I will go through like in depths and take notes, and then like an an hour before I'll just sort of skim through things and refresh myself. And mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't do that with you because I opened oh. the, I opened the book and you know the 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 first four or five chapters are your story and and kind of about diet and and uh, dealing with the uh, with excuses and things like that. But the second half is recipes. And as I was right as I was kind of flipping through, all of a sudden I got to I, I love the fact that you you start with desserts. <laughs> Yes, it's utterly brilliant, and I get and I get to um, the cherry cobbler, and I'm like, mm. I, would, I would rather make a cherry cobbler right now than prepare for this interview. So, <laughs> and, so to... and, that, and that is preparing for the interview because I'm sure part of what we're going to talk about is how whole a whole food diet can be satisfying, and if you can have a decadent dessert like a cherry cobbler without flour or butter or sugar, you know that that is what the interview is about, and that's why I did start with desserts. And even though I don't eat desserts myself very much these days. You know, it was Dr. Barnard that once told me to um, hit them over the head with uh, to, to 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 get them in through desserts and then hit them over the head with kale. Not everybody is going to just go eating kale for breakfast, you know, first day in. But the desserts are a great bridge to get people to see how familiar the foods can be and how delicious they can be. And they don't have to have sugar and they don't have to have oil and they don't have to have flour or salt. So I'm glad you made that because that's one of my favorites. Yeah, well, so uh, it's you know the cherries are defrosting right now. The the dates are mm-hmm. soaking in them. Um, it was really simple. Um, really simple. You know, my recipes 
were tested on blind people. I used to be a volunteer culinary instructor at Braille Institute where all the people went blind, almost all of them, from type 2 diabetes, which is preventable and reversible, not the blindness, but the type 2 diabetes, largely with a whole food plant-based diet. And, you know, if a blind person can do the 109 recipes and unprocessed, I think anybody can. My husband's even been able to do them. But, you know, he's not, he's, he's not a chef by any means. Yeah, no. So I mean, you know, I was I was working this. The the only uh, tool is the the food processor. And, right, we do need a few tools. Yep. And and I love that I didn't have to clean it out because you know it's all going to be the same yep. dish anyway. So right. Uh, but but I do have my written notes from from earlier in the week when I was when I was preparing. Um, so Great. I'd, I'd love I'd love for you to tell a little bit of of your story because you mm-hmm. know. It was. I, I didn't know it um, until I read the book, and then I listened to your wonderful interview with with Rich and Julie on the Rich Roll podcast. Right. Yeah, that that was very fun. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, so, I, I didn't believe it because when I saw your cooking show, right, you sing, you do handstands, uh-huh. you tell dirty yeah. jokes. You're the only person who yeah. tells a dirty joke about kale. Yeah, that's true. You know, some I'm making a little flack from some of the speaking engagements about that, so I might have to modify that. But, yes, you're right. I do. I, I try to entertain people because um, I believe that people learn best with humor. I mean, I could do a PowerPoint, and, and that could be very effective for some people, but a lot of people, if you can touch them on some level through music, through comedy, they remember you and they were and, – and, you know, it makes learning fun. And I remember in college and high school, all the teachers that really – were my mentors, were the ones that made me laugh. And so I do try to do that to, to make people laugh. My background is in comedy. I used to be a stand-up comedian. I've been on The Tonight Show several times with three different hosts, Joey Bishop, Johnny Carson, and Jay Leno, and, you know, perform in clubs and things like that. So that comes naturally to me. The cooking I had to learn. I actually did go to culinary school, but my recipes are so easy, you don't have to have gone to culinary school to do it. But I do try to make it fun and because I want people to enjoy learning and then to enjoy the food. And, you know, I want them to feel like they're in my living room, kind of. And, that, and that if you came to my house for dinner, I would be singing, standing on my head and telling dirty jokes. So... And Colin, Dr. Colin Campbell's coming for dinner Saturday night, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. Oh, I will treat him no. I will treat him no differently. Good. I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that's why he's there. Yeah. But, but so, I'm you know, actually. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, keep going. Oh yeah. No, I was going to say I'm actually a little bit nervous because to me he's royalty, and like you know at the Oscars they roll out the red carpet. I'm looking for a piece of green carpet to try to roll out the green carpet for him. So I'm just, you know, I'm, and he's so humble and just so wonderful, and I know it's going to be a great experience. So it's, it's, to me, like, it's, it's a great week to be me because it's just the greatest honor. Because if I could have anybody over for dinner, it would have been him, and, it, and he's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and, so, and you know so it's he's, great. He's enjoyed my food, so I'm sure he'll enjoy yours ten times oh, more. Oh, good. Good, 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 good. Yeah, so, he's, so, he, he, you know, he... Oh, go ahead, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I was... Um, I was also going to continue. Not only do you have this incredible energy around you when you're doing these mm-hmm. these presentations, you know, at the risk of being a fanboy, you're also you're fit, you're lean, you're radiant, you're yeah. gorgeous, and so you know I, that I, that was the image. It wasn't I, always that way, Howard. I used to weigh 180 pounds, so thank you for saying that. And I'm I'm 53 and a half now, and I didn't always weigh 125. I weighed 180, and I was a vegan, and I was a fat vegan. You know, so, so, I mean, it's, it, it, it just shows the difference between a vegan diet and a whole food plant-based diet without oil, you know? Yeah, so, so I was, um, I'm, you know, I, I assume it's okay to, uh, 
to to say it on, on this call because it's in your book, but I I started mm-hmm. making, making a list of what you've overcome to get here, right? Including a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. Can I just can I just read the list? Because absolutely. Might, um, so. Uh, a, a neglectful and abusive childhood, anorexia, depression, okay. a life-threatening lung and liver infection on your honeymoon, um, yeah. the loss of the loss of a baby, multiple miscarriages, panic disorder, and agoraphobia so severe you needed a service dog to leave the house, and bleeding right. pre- precancerous polyps. Like, yeah. holy cow, <laughs> AJ! Holy, and that was just Tuesday, but oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that was the first forty years, and you know, I'm glad you said that because I wrote the book not not as just like some kind of like purging, like oh my life was so hard. I remember the moment I decided to write the book, and I remember the girl saying she was in my class. I teach a introduction to healthy food preparation class. I've been teaching for cooking for thirteen years. This particular class for five years, and so I was explaining to people about the diet and giving the food. And this girl actually walked out of my class, and she said well, how am I supposed to do this? I have mental problems. And I thought to myself, honey, you have no idea. You know, I talk, and so that, that's really what inspired me to write the book. Yeah, and that, that was really to the age of 43. The last 10 years have been great, just so you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, I was, I'm, I'm curious about, because, you know, when, when people like you or, you know, Rich Roll just appear and we, we, we see, we see your, you know, your current incarnation, you know, your, your picture, um, on the, you know, healthy cruise, whatever, or, you know, all this, mm-hmm. um, there is this feeling like, oh, they're different from me. I could never do that. And oh, your, gosh. your, your story is, is so human and, right. and so humble. Um, that, you know, I, th- I think you've done a great service by, by sharing it, even if doing so has kind of, you know, dredged up some, some painful stuff yeah. for you. Well, I want to share it because I, I am, my story is, is, it, it just, it's meant to inspire people because I understand that for most people, life isn't easy. It, it really, you know, I mean, we, you know, I grew up watching Father Knows Best and, you know, shows like that, and that's not how my life was, and that's not how most people whose life I, I was know. But the idea is, is that, you know, it, it's, it, obstacles can be overcome, and it's, if you follow, if you adopt a whole food plant-based diet without sugar, oil, salt, and you have an abusive childhood, it's not going to, like, make that go away. It's not going to necessarily make even your depression go away, but everything gets better when you get the food right. Everything gets better when you get the food right. You know, I, I, my, one of the things I work with a lot now are people that suffer from food addiction and emotional eating, and I had Dr. McDougall on for a Skype call to my program, and people asked him about that. And the thing he said, he said, you've got to get the food right. And he's right, because even though, you know, the whole food plant-based diet we know will prevent and reverse heart disease, diabetes, and autoimmune diseases, and even, we could argue, certain cancers. You know, there's psychiatric conditions, and there's things in our life, our finances, our relationships. It's not going to reverse those. I understand that. But it's going to make it better, because when you're sane with food, and, I mean, you talked about my energy, and it's from the food, because, like, when you were talking about how difficult it could be when you travel. We were earlier we were talking. When I travel, and some of that bad food sneaks in, and when I say bad food, I don't mean... You know, I don't mean animal products or dairy, but, you know, there's a little bit of oil and a little agave and a little salt. I can feel my energy plummet. I can feel my brain chemistry 
sinking a little bit towards more the depression side and anxiety side of the spectrum. I mean, the food is a huge deal. It's so huge. If you get the food right, everything else in your life will improve, and people don't believe it until they do it. Yeah, that was one of the questions I had for you because I know you've uh, you've personally dealt with uh, food addiction. Oh, yeah, and I still do. I mean, I don't, you know, depending how you think metaphysically, you know, people say, well, you shouldn't say that if you're not. I, so I'm a food addict in recovery, and I didn't even realize I was one for until a few years ago when I had Dr. Roger Gould, who is the author of Shrink Yourself, come speak to my program. I'm like, oh, I guess I am one. But, you know, I just thought I was a sugar addict. I thought that sounded like a lot better. But, you know, food addiction is poorly misunderstood, but it's, I believe one day it's going to be in the DSM. It's going to be a real diagnosis. And again, you know, it's funny because what you do to treat food addiction is the same thing you do to treat obesity and heart disease and diabetes. Guys, it's a whole food plant-based diet, preferably without, well, definitely without oil and preferably without the addiction of sugar, flour, and salt, too. I mean, this it's just amazing how it's, it, it is almost a one-size-fits-all. I mean, people may have to tweak certain things, you know, according to their activity level. For example, I don't think nuts are unhealthy, but if I want to stay slim, I can't really eat them or at least eat them very often. But, man, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, this is the diet that is consistent with our species' natural history. It's the same diet that's been eaten for millions of years by our ancestors. It's still eaten in parts of the world today. You know, I met a guy, when I uh, spoke at the Boston Veg Fest, a guy came up to me, and he was from Ethiopia. He was a marathon runner, and he bought my book. And I'm like, well, why are you buying my book, dude? This is your diet. He goes, yeah, I know. I go, have you ever had processed food? He goes, no. I go, how come? He goes, well, it's, like, really expensive in my country. And this guy's, like, one of the top marathon runners in the world. He's, like, never eaten processed food. There are parts of the world that don't eat it, you know? Yeah, well, you know, there's uh, there's a lot of places in the world where, until 20 or 30 years ago, it was prohibitively expensive until some some brilliant, you know, government official got in touch with some brilliant um, head of an American-based NGO and decided that we were going to save them by giving them cheap cheap cornmeal and, fl- and white flour. Gosh. Isn't that crazy? It's, it's, a, it's like the world is ass-backwards. It's just so ass-backwards that, you know, if people understood that, like McDonald's, that, that a hamburger doesn't cost 99 cents if the government wasn't subsidizing certain crops and not others. I mean, I just, I, I mean, I want to say I wish there was a revolution. There is one, but I mean, I really want one. Like, I mean, I want the French Revolution. You know, remember like in Le Miserable? I want the vegan revolution. I want people to just, I just, here's the thing. I want people to know the truth, Howard. They can make their own mind up, but some of the people just don't understand even these very basic things that we talk about. They just don't understand. They don't have the information. Right. How corrupt our government is and, and how, you know, I mean, like, and how evil Monsanto is. I mean, I mean, you know, like, like in, in California, last November, we had Proposition 37 on the ballot, which was, it wasn't saying that we couldn't have GMOs. We were saying we just want the right to know a little bit like it is in Europe. And, you know, Monsanto put so many millions of dollars to defeat this. The thing is, people, and the bill wasn't maybe written as good as it could have been, but but people, I mean, I I forget where I was. I think it was in Texas the other day, lecturing, and there were people there that never even heard of GMOs. They didn't even know what they were. So they didn't know if they were eating them or not eating them. I I don't know. I mean, we have the Internet now. How can we get this information out to the masses, you know? Yeah, well, you know, one, one, one cherry cobbler at a time. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I think food is a great thing to do it because food, I love that I, 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 I'm not just a speaker because, you know, you give people a chocolate peanut butter truffle and it's like, you know, maybe they'll listen because, I mean, it tastes good. It's, it's familiar. It's what they're used to. And, and, you know, maybe they can make a change at least more in that direction. You know, the plan is not going to be, you know, it cracks me up, the paleo diet, you know, because as I said on Rich Roll's show, I'm on the paleo diet because it's, even if it were healthy, which we know it's not, it's not sustainable. I mean, the planet is not going to be able to sustain people eating the way they're eating, and you know, if they keep doing it. Yeah, I just I interviewed yesterday David Robinson Simon, who wrote a book called Meatonomics. I don't know if you've heard of it. Mm, that's a great title. You should get the book. It's uh, I will. I'm, I'm writing it down right now. Meatonomics. I love the title. He's he's a lawyer. Uh, he he works in the world of healthcare and. He's also uh, an animal rights activist, and he, he sent around um, a video of animal rights abuses to, to some of his friends and said, what are your reactions to this? And he said one, one of his friends was the dean of a, of a prestigious law school and wrote back mm-hmm. and said, well, the behavior we're seeing here is illegal. Therefore, it's not really, you know, it doesn't happen that often, and it's, it's not a big deal. You know, yes, it's a tragedy yeah. for these animals. And, he said, and so he said, gee, is that true? Is it really illegal? And that led him to discover that, no, there are no animal cruelty laws anymore. Mm. Well, well and, there, are, there are, but just not for domesticated, only for domesticated animals, but not for farmed animals. Right. And he said, you know, what, yeah. the, the definition of, of not cruel is whatever you're doing. Like whatever is normal, wow. and so then he, he he started delving farther and farther into it, and discovered, you know, the, the insanity of the USDA on the one hand telling us to eat less cholesterol, less fa- animal fat, and on the other hand, for being mandated to market it to us. Uh-huh. So I mean, the cruelty is just a whole. I mean, I, I mean, getting into that, it just breaks my heart because he, you know, people accuse me of not being an ethical vegan. Well, for 26 years, I was on a, a an ill health promoting vegan diet, and of course, I went vegan at 17 completely for ethical reasons. And and that just again is another absurdity. It's like I believe it was Casey Kasem that said, if slaughterhouses had windows, everyone would be vegetarian. And I think they should have windows. And instead, they have gag laws that prevent undercover people from taking what goes on. If if what you're doing isn't bad, then you don't mind me taping you. You know, when people say to me, "Can I videotape or audio tape you?" I say, "Absolutely," because I know I'm not doing anything that I'm not going to be that I'm going to be ashamed of or embarrassed about. You know. Right. Just don't make any cracks about the 47% like Romney and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, i got to be careful. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and that's really the argument of his book is all, we, all um, we're asking for is transparency. Like if you knew, right. if you knew how much land it took to make your meal and how right. much pollution it caused – like and, and and you knew not because somebody like me or you lectured them about it, but because it was reflected in the cost. If right. if, if that hamburger actually cost twenty three dollars, because that's what it right. cost to 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 try to repair the pollution, to um, to spread around the costs of the open heart surgery that it's going to cause. Like mm-hmm. that, you know that those are signals that we understand. And they're and they're yeah. being they're being totally subverted. So it's not like we're trying to, you know, um, convince people of something in some sort of nefarious way. We're 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 just you know we're on the field and we're just trying to take the 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 chains off our legs so we can run. 
I, I agree with you, Howard. I mean, it's like the right to know. I think people, I, I think t- there are some people that would prefer not to know, They're, but that's different than not knowing, you know, or not, or not letting this information get out somehow. Right. So, so let's get back a little bit to, I, I listed mm-hmm. the sort of the litany of, of your story. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned yeah. that you went, you were an ethical vegan, but you call it a junk food vegan. Uh, well, I was, and, and you can be both. You can be a healthy vegan and an ethical vegan and an environmental vegan all at the same time. I just didn't know about a healthy vegan diet because, as, as we said earlier, doctors aren't taught nutrition in medical school. And growing up, nobody said anything about nutrition to me. We didn't have the Internet back then where we could look this stuff up or books like The China Study or Whole. We didn't have Dr. Well, Dr. Barnard was alive, but as far as I know, PCRM and PETA hadn't been formed yet. But uh, I, I went vegan for ethical reasons at the University of Pennsylvania at freshman year at the age of 17. I was going to be a veterinarian, but instead I became a vegetarian because I was asked to cut the head off of a salamander for animal research, and I did one time, and then I wouldn't do it anymore. I, I was relegated to washing labware the rest of the semester, and I practically flunked out of college because I wouldn't dissect the rat or the frog or the cat, and I had no rights back then. Like now, I think college students have rights. They can refuse and learn in other ways. So I became an ethical vegan, night, but I did everything wrong because all I ate was not animal products, but everything I ate, else I ate was crap, which was flour and sugar and oil and caffeine. Those were my four food groups, and I didn't really eat any fruits and vegetables at all. And I, in, you know, Now when I look back, that's the bulk of my diet, and I realized the insanity, but I continued doing that for 26 years, and I was one of those fat vegans that Dr. McDougall talks about, weighing about 180 pounds. I didn't have any health problems, interestingly enough, and my cholesterol was very low. I mean, yeah, I mean, I did. I had depression, things like that, terrible anxiety, which really got so much better when I switched to a whole food plant-based diet without processed food, especially the sugar. But then after 26 years, I started bleeding profusely one morning, January 1st, 2003, and I found out I had these polyps in my sigmoid colon. Uh, they're called edematous polyps, and they were very large, and there were many of them. I was riddled with them, actually, and they said, if we don't take these out, you will, these are the ones that turn into colon cancer, but they couldn't remove them during the normal procedure because of the state of my colon, and so they said, come back, and you know, you'll have regular surgery, which meant anesthesia and medication, and then I said, there's no way I'm doing that because I'm deathly afraid of that, and I went to the Optimum Health Institute. I remember the day, Sunday, July 6, 2003. I had a Coke Slurpee in one hand and a Dr. Pepper in the other hand because that was my breakfast and lunch almost every day. Coke Slurpees for breakfast, Dr. Peppers for lunch. I probably would have gone to True North had I heard about it back then, but I hadn't. And, you know, I went there and it was the first time that anybody, let alone doctors or nurses, said that what you eat has a profound effect on how you look, how you feel, and what diseases you get and what diseases you can reverse. And even though I had been vegan, not eating animal products or dairy, Everything else I was eating was basically crap, you know, soda, sugar, caffeine, you know, a lot of flour products, you know, dessert, flour, oil, sugar, salt, you know, nothing in the way of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes. And so they give you the proper food, the diet that is consistent with our species' natural history, fruits and vegetables. Theirs happened to be raw, but there, didn't, there wasn't any oil or sugar or salt. And within six months, I went back for a repeat sigmoidoscopy, and my colon was clean and clear and pink and vascular like a newborn baby. And the doctor accused me of having surgery elsewhere, and I told him I didn't. 
and I said, that's insane. Why would I have the money to do that if I'm on your HMO? And he said, well, where are all the polyps? And I said, I said, well, I changed my diet. He goes, well, I have pictures of them, and they were this many centimeters. And he goes, you changed your diet. That, that, he goes, that's impossible. And he stormed out of the room. And the, the other doctor assisting, who was from, the, from India, I believe, she pulled me over when he wasn't there. He goes, you know, I believe you. And I thought, like, oh, my God, this is, like, so radical that they can't even talk about it at, at a hospital, you know, that the diet could actually you know, change your health and change your life. And that's when I went to culinary school. I was working at another job. I was had another career. I was, an, I was 43 years old. I was an activity director at a retirement home, and I took a leave of absence to go to culinary school, not because I ever thought I was going to be a chef, but because I couldn't just keep eating raw food like that without it tasting good. So, mm-hmm. you know, so, it was amazing. I changed my diet, and I changed my life. So, so, so let me um, back up with you a little bit. So what, when you're having all these problems, you had the polyps, you were told you got to go get yeah. surgery. At that right. point, at that point, what made you look towards a dietary intervention? Well, you want to know the truth, and this is, I don't always tell this part of the story, but this is why I, I personally do believe in God and divine intervention, because this is how it went down. I didn't look for dietary intervention. I looked to buy some time. And I just wanted to get away and think about this. And so I got this. I, I'm, I'm kind of cheap. Let's put it that way, mildly. I don't like to spend a lot of money. And it doesn't matter how much money I have. I'm a frugal person. And I had this magazine about discount spas throughout the United States. Well, my goal had always been, my dream had always been to go to Rancho La Puerta, which I just went to this year. I got invited to teach $5,000 a week or to go to a place like Canyon Ranch. But these were out of the question expensive. I needed a break from my job. I needed some time to think. And I had this discount spa magazine, and it said, Optimum Health Institute, $875 a week. And I'm like, hmm, 875 is a lot less than 5000 I didn't even know where I was going. I just, I figured San Diego, I'll take the train, it's 875, I'll give me some, and I mean, this was, I didn't know it was going for dietary intervention, I thought I was going for rest, and it, this was my answer, you know, that that is the truth, I never told this story before on air or anywhere, but that's really what happened, I didn't know where I was going, I just picked it because it was the cheapest place I could go for a week. <laughs> It's a little mind blowing that that was yeah. that was you know and I I certainly can appreciate that feeling of you know looking back on that was that was providence that was that was divine intervention it, it, it really was it really was because this magazine had been by my bed I actually another funny story is I sometimes steal magazines from waiting rooms I know you're not supposed to but I did because it was such an interesting magazine it had sat by my bed for years I mean it was an old magazine because I figured oh I don't I don't I don't have time for work I can't go to the spa I mean it was just it was just so funny that magazine had been there for a couple of years and I never flipped it open and I was like you know what I'm really stressed I don't know what to do I'm just going to go somewhere and and I picked it because it was cheap and it really ended up saving my life and changing my life and uh, it, it just was amazing. So, so, so and now I, I can recommend that. So I have mm-hmm. to I have to ask you about that because because one of one of the things that I get when I talk to people about diet and and generally mm-hmm. the only the only time I'll ever talk to people about diet is when I'm invited to speak where I can say whatever mm. I want or where I'm eating out with people and my food choices piss them off, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So, but so you know, and people get very very defensive. About right, their... it's like religion. It it, it is. It, it, it's worse than talking about religion. I think talking about diet to people, they do get defensive. That's the perfect word. So, so there, there you were on a an accidental spa trip in a you know in an accidental raw vegan 
unprocessed place yeah. and, and you're yeah. being, and you're being told that all this stuff that's happened to you is in some way your own doing how, how right. did you and, and did again you, let's use the word responsibility instead of fault and i think that's why people get upset because when you hint to them or say hey the way you ate caused your cancer heart disease diabetes they get very they they, they feel attacked and so the word let's use the word responsibility instead of fault because here's the thing if i caused it, then I can change it. But if I put it outside of myself and say, well, you know, this happened to me because of genetics, then I give up my power to change it. And, you know, this is a very important point, genetics, because people, you know, say, well, you know, my grandmother had diabetes, my mother had diabetes, therefore I'm going to get diabetes. Well, you know, I just spoke in Houston for Dr. Baxter Montgomery, and in his book, Prescription for Health, he says it's not the disease of diabetes that's genetic. It's the recipes. And you know as well as I that genetics accounts for such a very small part, a part of whether or not we get a disease, that genetics loads the gun. It's your diet and lifestyle that pulls the trigger. And you know better than anyone that when we change our nutrition, we change the expression of our genes. So I felt empowered when they when they said, hey, your crappy diet caused your disease. You don't really talk about diseases there. Like, you don't get into detail. They call them health opportunities. But when I learned that everything I had been eating was disease-promoting, acidifying, inflammatory. I was like, cool. Now all I got to do is eat the opposite, fruits and vegetables, whole grains and legumes. So I was excited by the fact that I caught, created my own disease because I do believe we do that, consciously or unconsciously. I also believe in another area that I don't talk about a lot, but I feel because you're an Aquarius. You're an Aquarius, right? I'm a Leo, so the other side. You're a Leo? You're the other one. Okay, well, maybe you're open-minded. Let's. I, I don't know why I thought you were Aquarius. But anyway, I a lot of people in our movement don't believe in God, and that's fine. But I do, and I also believe in metaphysical stuff, like Louise Hay, you can heal your mind, your thoughts are things, and you create your reality. And she believes that our thoughts do create our diseases. And it doesn't mean that we go to bed when I say, gosh, I sure wish I'll have colon cancer. But our thoughts and negative thoughts and, and certain patterns of thinking over time can at least contribute to diseases. So when I had this knowledge that, Eating sugar and eating oil and eating salt and eating white flour created these polyps in my colon. I was excited because now all I had to do is stop doing that and do the opposite. And I, I was excited. I was inspired. And when I went to this place and people were there of diseases of, I see, I didn't think I was that sick. I mean, I knew that, I, that, I mean, this was a wake up call for me because I did not yet have full blown cancer, but there were people there with AIDS and brain cancer and lupus and Lyme disease. And they would come back every Friday and give testimonials how this diet had cured them. And I'm like, these people are really sick. I said, mine's going to be easy. I just got to eat the food they say, and I'll do a little bit of prayer and visualization and meditation. I mean, I really believed that this was not going to be, the, you know, my, my undoing. It was really my salvation. Going to this place, you know, really saved my life. And with the information I learned, I can actually help other people with this information if they choose to, to listen to me. And a lot of people don't want to hear this, Howard, because like you say, it's like religion, and, and people get very confronted because I do believe it has a lot to do with addiction, and that's kind of where I've gone, my specialty has gone. But, you know, it, 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 to me it's exciting that if you created a problem, then guess what? You can fix it. You know, I don't have to blame my parents because here's the thing. If genetics was really the, the be-all, end-all of disease, you know, I've lost pretty much every member of my family from cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. Just pretty much me and my sister are left. Well, how come we're not dead like everybody else by the time we're 40? Because maybe we eat a little bit differently, you know? You think that has something to do with it? I do. Right. It, so it sounds like the people at this, was it the Optimal Health Institute? Yeah, 
Yeah, Optimum Health Institute. There's one in San Diego and there's one in Austin, Texas, and I would just as much recommend that as, as, as I would True North and Santa Rosa. These are very affordable healing centers where you can use food as medicine to to change your life and you know it, they're it's just amazing like if i had like again if i had known about this place i would have gone i remember being a sugar sugar addict in my my early 20s saying to my doctor you know i think i have a problem is sugar addicted he's like oh no no i mean if if i had known dr goldhammer then or read the pleasure trap i would have done it sooner but they say everything in in its divine time so it's cool yeah, but I was, I was going to say, it sounds like that they, you know, by, by calling things health opportunities as opposed to naming the diseases, they were right. act, they were acting very responsibly from, I guess, a, a, a metaphysical perspective. And right. I, I'm open-minded enough that, uh, you know, when I, when I lived in Africa for a year, one of the things I studied was uh, Zulu shamanism. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, and, uh, and one of the, one of the key beliefs of shamanism worldwide is that words are spells. And right, as words are words are powerful. Thoughts are things. I believe that so much. And they said by doing that, we gave it power. So nobody, we didn't know what was wrong with anybody there. I mean, and we never, we because we it's not like they forbade us to discuss it. Like, but but they suggested that it would be better that these these were not. You know, in, in Chinese, they say the word prop. There's no word for crisis. It's the same word as opportunity. And they said these are health opportunities, opportunity to get healthy. And so nobody talked about their diseases, even to their doctor or nurse. Right. And, you know, and so, something else that I, I learned in, in, in grad school and I talked about a little bit, we talked about in, in whole, is that the, the, the very notion of, of disease is so subjective. So if you say, you know, the same thing that you would do to deal with a food addiction is the same thing you would do to deal with diabetes, is the same thing you would do to deal with cancer or heart disease or, or stroke or, or rheumatoid arthritis, it, it it kind of means that that all these diseases are just words that we're that we're giving to pre, that pretty much the same thing. That right. It's just it manifests the symptoms manifest differently, but it's all because of the bad food. It's they're all foodborne illnesses. You know, people think a foodborne illness is something like you know like like food poisoning, but Dr. Esselstyn says no. Heart disease is a foodborne illness. It's born of food, and so is type two diabetes and most autoimmune diseases and many cancers and food addiction. Because if you got the food right, you wouldn't have the disease. Right. And, and for me, I, you know, I want to, you know, when you invited me to jump into the metaphysical pool. The, I, I, yeah. I feel like the, the food, the material food is really a, a symptom of our disconnect from, from the world, from nature, mm-hmm. from, from, mm-hmm. from, from the source that we're meant to, to grow strong from. Right. I, I agree with that. We are just—it's a great word. Just, we are so disconnected, because if you're connected, you you know that this isn't food. It's it's a science experiment. You would never eat it. You know that's why you know getting back to nature. That's why you know I'm so encouraged when when I see preschools having gardens now. So kids, you know, they, they had some show on ABC, Jamie Oliver, and they showed broccoli, and half the most of the kids couldn't even didn't know what it was. They couldn't even name what broccoli was. Mm. You know. I mean, you know, they say that the the golden arches, you know, kids recognize that more, you know, over over any other symbol. Everybody knows what McDonald's is, you know. Right, and you know, if you ta- if you look at all the food that comes out of, you know, the uh, all the factories that are that are producing the the, the fifty or sixty percent of the calories that come from that, if if the humans walked away from those factories, mm-hmm. they would start to break down instantly. We went on vacation mm-hmm. last week. We left our garden. 
Um, and we just, you know, we left, we asked, we asked a neighbor to water it, but it wasn't necessary because it rained pretty much every day. We came back and the lettuce was up. The carrot tops were up. The kale was up. Like nature, you know, it's alive. It's, 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 it's freaking alive. And if we eat it, we grow alive. And if if we eat dead stuff that decays without constant input, that's what will happen to us. And we're considered the crazy vegans and the radicals and the extremists for eating fruits and vegetables. It cracks me up. You know, I love when Dr. Esselstyn says they think eating a pulse food plant-based diet is extreme. I do believe that getting veins stripped from your leg and sewn into your heart and getting, but first having your chest cracked open, that's more extreme. But what is extreme has really become the norm and what should be normal has become the extreme. It's, it's, like I said, it's ass backwards. And that's why when I say I'm the only sane one, it's like, you know, I'm like, Hello. I mean, I just can't understand why people aren't getting this. Well, I think it drives me crazy. I think it comes back to what you what you experienced um, when you were sitting at Optimal Optimum Health Institute, hearing for the first time that you are responsible. Most most people don't want to be responsible. Yes. Right. We, 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 we live, you know, we live in a culture, despite it being sort of a, you know, Wild West American, we can become whatever we want. There is a, a huge fear of, of the power that each of us has. And, you know, I love the word responsible because to me it means able to respond. And, you know, the thing that drives me the most crazy that makes me so angry, and I, I wasn't able to have children, and yet I'm so angry about this, is that, you know, people have the right to kill themselves with food or drugs or alcohol or whatever they want. But it doesn't seem fair that they're doing it to their children, you know. And and, and I always, you know, hear about, like, these cases, you know, like if, if, if you had a child and you started giving them cocaine or heroin, at some point Child Protective Services would come around and, and hear about it and your child would be taken away from you. But I go to Costco quite a bit, once a week, because they have some great organic produce now and it's, it's wonderful prices. And at Costco, for $1.49, I believe, you can get a real big hot dog and a soda. And with the soda, you get free refills. And so what I see doing, I see these morbidly obese people, usually women, getting their hot dog and soda, and then they take the first soda and they put it in a sippy cup and they hand it to their child who's in the in the shopping cart. And these ch- children look to be no more than two years old to me. And they look, I call them cubes. They look like SpongeBob SquarePants because they're as fat, they're as wide as they are tall because they're so fat at two years old. And I'm thinking, how is that okay? You know, I drank soda. That was my choice because, you know, I, I eventually got a Dr. Pepper and 7-Eleven addiction, but it wasn't because my mom was giving me soda. When we had soda when we were little, it was like in a birthday party. It was a treat, and it was maybe six ounces. So how is it okay to, to give your kids sugar when Dr. Pam Peek and other experts have said it's more addictive than cocaine and heroin? See, this is what drives me crazy. You know, I, this is transcends veganism because, of course, we believe that the, the, the animal-free diet is the absolute best way to go. But there are going to be people out there, Howard, that we're never going to convince not to eat animals. It's just, I, I just believe that they're always going to feel that they need it for whatever reason or it's their right. But how could you not know that processed food is poor? How could you not know that? All right. Well, you know, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's a it's certainly you know I've heard it called a you know diseases of nutritional ignorance. I was I was speaking yeah. I was speaking yesterday with a woman whom I, I was I can't remember who introduced me to her, but her name is Dr. Ana Negron. She grew mm. up in Puerto Rico and she works in Philadelphia 
um, and she volunteers at a clinic for people with no health insurance, so low-income families, mm-hmm. many of them immigrant. And they, you know, she gets together and they once a month and they make you know rainbow salad and uh, quinoa blueberry breakfasts and you know and the, the, the neighborhoods all come together and they're all loving it and you know that's the mothers with their kids and they say you know we we love the, to eat this way and we're happy that you've taught us you know how we can live on lentils and greens and we can do it as cheaply as as you know the standard american fare but when our kids go to school we have no choice like we're right. on you know we're on school lunches some of them are on school breakfasts and right. it's, it's tater tots and jello Right. It's, I don't know the answer to that. And if I had a kid in school, believe me, I would be there, you know, doing something about it. I don't know the answer. I don't know what parents are supposed to do, but it sure isn't right unless we start alternative schools like they have in New York. Uh, is it Amy Hamlin yep. or Amy that has that, that, that alternative school in New York? Uh, it should not be allowed. But, again, it's, it's, again, the processed food industry. People, anytime it ends in industry, and they have contracts you know, with these companies to get their products in school. You know, I, I was just talking to a friend today about how her her child goes to some special school where sugar is not allowed and they have a garden. But I remember, is okay, I'm 53, so I remember as early as 1971 when I was 11 years old, we could buy Coke at school, Coca-Cola, you know. It was in the schools already, you know, getting people addicted at a, at a very young age. So, um <laughs> I don't right. know. And now, and now, and now of course, this now of course the schools depend on on the 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 coke kickbacks for their, uh, you know, for the, for the sports program and the music program. You know, you know, it's interesting. I, I don't know if you read the, the the book by Michael Moss, Salt, Sugar, and Fat: How the Food Giants Hooked Us. Are you familiar with that book? I heard him speak at the Engine Two event. I haven't I haven't delved into the book yet. Right. Well, well, one of the things he says, which is so interesting to me, is like, for instance, he used the example of something called Lunchables. It's this Oscar Mayer product, which is in a box where they got little pieces of bologna and little crackers and cheese, and it's a very, very good selling product. And yep. he was saying, how he said in the book, that, that the person that invented that won't even let their family eat that product. You know, and I wonder how many of these people that have invented these horrible products really feed them to themselves and their family. You know, there's an old saying in, you know, in drug addiction, don't get high in your own supply. And so I just, <laughs> it's just interesting to me how you hear about these people that invent these things, but that would never give them to themselves or their family. I mean, that's, you know, I, I don't want to make any food that I wouldn't serve my family. Right. Right. Well, you know, yeah. in, uh, in in business, it's very easy to convince yourself of pretty pretty much anything. There's a, yeah. you know, a lot. Uh, there's a very strong mercenary archetype in the world yeah. today, where you know I've got to take care of my my own needs, my own family, and you know, after all, I'm not forcing anyone to, to buy it or eat it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You know, the thing is, is that's you're you're right. Nobody's being forced to buy this crap. But again, just like you said, you wanted transparency. Um, Nobody, a lot of people don't know because they haven't listened to NPR or read Salt, Sugar, and Fat or read the end of the A lot of people generally don't know that all sugar is addictive, that all salt is addictive, and that all fat is addictive, and that the processed food industry engineered food, particularly high in sugar, fat, and salt, to addict people to their product. See, a lot of people don't know that until they're already in the addiction of this. And, and that's the thing. That's why I'm so thankful that these books exist so that people that want to know now can know this information. They still have to go through the you know, reversing the addiction and not eating that stuff. But I think it's, you know, it's like 
I think it's much easier to avoid heart disease, cancer, and diabetes than reverse it when it occurs, not that it can't be done. And to tell you, somebody that struggled with food addiction for 50 years, it would have been a lot easier had I not been subjected to these hyperpalatable foods so early on to cause the addiction because you, you do, people suffer tremendously with, with these, these things. Right. But, you know, I remember when I was starting out in marketing, one of the most important books I read was called Influence by Robert mm. Cialdini. And mm-hmm. you know, he, he listed sort of six levers of influence that are used on us and that all have um, evolutionary roots. That, you know, they, mm-hmm. they work not because they're clever, but because we are genetically programmed to respond wow. to them. And one of them is what he calls social proof, which is whatever a whole bunch of people around us are doing, whatever our peer group is doing, whatever our referent group is doing, that must wow. be the right thing to do. And if you think about that's it from, why so many, wow. from, from an evolutionary probably, perspective, right, if you, if you see everyone in your herd running away to the right, you know, yeah. You, you probably should run away to the right. If you see everyone avoiding a particular berry, you should probably avoid that berry. There's all these reasons that yeah. social proof, that following what the herd is doing is a lifesaver, that it's become ingrained in us. And Wow, so it sounds like a great book, and I'm going to order it as soon as we get off the phone. And that that would make sense because, you know, the incident, I was, I was just with Dr. Terry Mason from Forks Over Knives speaking at this conference, and he was telling me how the rate of white middle-class males dying from heroin overdose is like just skyrocketing in Chicago. And I'm like, you're kidding. And what could it else be other than like you're saying, the influence? Because one person's probably doing it because everybody's doing it. Yeah. As soon as someone does something... If it's, you know, even if it's unthinkable, as soon as someone else does wow. it, it becomes thinkable, it becomes conceivable, doable. And so what we, you know, what, what we really have to do, I think the big, the big advantage, you know, the, 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 the great thing about these gatherings that you put together, you know, the Healthy Taste of LA and yeah. Sacramento is that you're giving people a new normal. You're giving people a new right. reference group. You know, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, the ethical vegans have had this for a while. You know, they, many people, you know, ethical vegan in, in Wisconsin or Houston, they feel like a complete pariah outcast. And yet when mm-hmm. they come, when they, when they gather with their peers, or now we can sort of do it on Facebook and, and online, you know, the, whatever, whatever the most important people in your life are doing is going to seem like the thing you should be doing. So I think it's, it's really crucial for us to be doing this work in community. Yeah. I think community is really important, really, really important. That's why places like Summerfest are amazing, where we can be with people all over the United States or even the world, you know? Yep. Yep. And, and yeah, and, and you get you get a certain energetic hit when you come back from that. Even if you knew how to make that recipe and you knew that you shouldn't eat this or that, just just returning to, you know, it's a pilgrimage. It's it's a way yep. to, to rededicate yourself to, I lo- to your ideals. I love your... I love your use of language. Every word you use is just, you just know, know the right phrase. I've never thought of it that way, but it is a pilgrimage. And I'm thinking, like, why do people keep coming back? Because it is. That's what it is. Yeah, well, well thank you. Uh, so before, yeah, before, no, you, before you go, I mean, you're, 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 you're fascinating and brilliant and entertaining, but you're also a damn good cook. And I, and I, oh, well, thank you. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, um, the 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 first thing I did when I got home from from veg from VegFest was uh, was order the uh, the instant pot with your with your coupon oh, code. Great. So I, I hope they sent you Wonderful. a check. 
Um, oh, thank you. But, you know, as I'm looking through this, I'm going, damn, these are easy. <laughs> really so, easy, really easy. Because it so, doesn't have to be rocket science, you know. You get a bunch of lentils at 49 cents a pound, and you throw it in a pot with some water and spices, and you got a delicious chili. It's, it's, we're making it too hard because real people don't cook, you know, gourmet every single night, if at all. Right. So, so give us, uh, you know, somebody's hearing this and mm -hmm. they kind of know the rules, like they've, you know, watched Forks Over Knives or read the China study mm -hmm. or something, and they know what they should and shouldn't be doing, but right. they have a family and they just haven't been able to get it together. What is the least amount of energy, time, mental resources, physical resources that, that they can put in? What, what could you give them to do tomorrow that would, that would help them on, the, on this path? Right. Well, I would say the pressure cooker then because it's the most affordable uh, machine. You can get them for as low as $69. The Instant Pot is a little bit more, but using my name, AJ, they'll give you a $49 discount. You can have, uh, you know, Crock-Pot's good too, by the way. Those are about 20 bucks, but you have to plan with the Crock-Pot, and before you go to work in the morning, you got to put everything in. But with, with the Instant Pot, like I just did a demo at NBC yesterday, and in six minutes I made portobello mushroom chili for, for 50 people in this room, with, and I used canned beans. They, have, they were salt-free. I used canned tomatoes that were salt-free, and I bought the mushrooms and onion already cut up and the garlic already chopped, and I put it in the pressure cooker with a few spices, and the people were blown away that in six minutes they had a delicious, healthy meal. So that's what I would recommend to people that have no time. And, um, and it's, 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 it's affordable. See, so when you buy, people say, well, it's too expensive eating a vegan diet. Only if you're eating processed junk, like the cheeses and the fake meats, things that come in packages. But when you buy whole food and eat it whole, when you buy legumes and grains and beans, they're like 49 cents a pound. At least they are in L.A. at the ethnic markets, maybe a little bit more at Whole Foods if they're prepackaged. But when you buy them in bulk, I mean, we have a store called Smart and Final, and I got a 20-pound bag of potatoes for four ninety nine. And it took a long time to eat them, actually. Well, not that long with two of us, maybe about a week. But, you know, so so shop the perimeter, shop the produce aisle. Eat fruits and vegetables as much as you can, as many as you can. Whole grains and legumes, you need those for your satiation, those potatoes, the rice, the beans, the lentils. And that's what you do. And, you know, eat a salad. I mean, I know it sounds simplistic, but eat a salad. How many people aren't even doing that? Right. So what's... Uh, what, what, let's, let's, take, let's take, first of all, someone who's got money but no time. So, right? Well, right? If, if you're lucky. If you have money but no time, you can hire somebody like me or hire a chef. I mean, a lot of the doctors that I consult with, they have personal chefs. And by personal chef, I don't mean that this person lives with you and makes every breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I mean, they come in one or two times a week and make meals for a few days. And believe it or not, Howard, it's a lot more affordable than people would think to have that kind of personal chef. If you have somebody on staff eight hours a day, you know, like a lot of the celebrities do, that's, that's a whole different ballgame. Well, these yeah, chefs let's... that come in... Mm -hmm. Let's 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 ballpark this. I have a, I have a family of four, and let's say I want oh. four, four four dinners a week. What what's Sheesh. like? What would you in L A? Gosh, uh, you know, I wish I could get back to you on that because I don't want to misquote it too low. Because I will mm -hmm. tell you that even like I know some of the best personal chefs that work for celebrities, and they're only making eighty thousand a year. Now that sounds like a lot, but it really isn't because you can make that in, in just about a lot of other different jobs in L A. So what would it cost? I don't know, and I don't want to. I don't want to misquote, but it's okay. not as expensive as you think. And it's it really cheaper, isn't. It's probably cheaper in Durham, North Carolina, than it is in L.A. 
It absolutely is. And, and, you know, when people say, well, it's too expensive, it's like that old saying, pay the grocer, pay the doctor. You know, when people say, well, you know, uh, kale, oh, my God, it was two ninety nine a pound. I said, well, have you priced cancer lately? I mean, chemotherapy is a lot more expensive. And open heart surgery is like $100,000. You know, people, here's the thing. I know people are busy, Howard. I'm really busy. I've got 600 unanswered emails in my inbox right now. So if you're listening, I apologize. But here's the thing. <laughs> we all have this money and time for what we really value. It really comes down to value. Because as busy as people are, if they value, you know, I use the excuse that I was too busy to exercise, and I didn't start exercising until the age of 53. Because the reality is, I didn't value it, I didn't see the purpose, and I didn't want to do it because it was just seemed like too much effort for not enough reward. But the reality is, is when you make health a priority in your life through healthful behaviors like eating and exercise, the time appears. And I don't care if I have to get up earlier now, you, you know, you just do it. So this is why, you know, in my book I have the gap of these excuses because the thing is, is it, it, it really is an excuse because we all have the same 24 hours a day. It's what you do with that. You know, these people that come to my come to my class and say, well, I don't have time to eat healthy. I mean, I get out of class and they're, they're tweeting and Facebooking the whole time in their class. Here's the thing. If you have face, if you're on a Facebook account, you have time to eat healthy. I'm telling you that right now. If you are on Facebook or Twitter, you have the time to eat healthy. Money, I can't help people with that, but I do know that eating a whole food plant-based diet is a lot more affordable. Like I said, we have these ethnic markets like Vallarta, Armenian markets, and different markets where I see food, 49 cents a pound for beans and lentils. I mean, even if you buy a can of beans, salt-free, it's 89 cents for a can. Can you imagine a whole pound for 49 cents? You get this pressure cooker, you got black beans cooked in seven minutes. I mean, so, so again, a, a lot of it is like learning a new language. You know, people say, I, I grew up with an aunt that spoke French, and, and French came very easily to me because it was spoken in the home. And in college, when I took Spanish, I'm like, this is the hardest language. Well, I don't think Spanish is harder than French. I think it's just because I didn't know it. And it's the same thing. You grew up speaking the language of junk food, processed food, animal products, standard American diet. We're just teaching you another, another language with whole food, plant-based, no oil. It's not that it's harder. It's just that you need to learn it. So you maybe need to take a few classes, buy a few books, buy a few DVDs, and it's actually a lot easier. Believe me, do you think it's any harder to saute an onion in water than it is in oil? But it's not. It's the same. It's just you have to learn why and, and understand that it. it's just as easy, and it's more helpful to do it that way. It's actually cheaper. when You know, when you stop using oil, you save money. Well, it's also, it's also a hell of a lot easier to clean up. Oh, tell me about it. It's like when I think about how hard it is to get off the pan, I'm like, well, what, what's it doing to my arteries? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I really want to uh, re- reinforce what you said about time because what, what, time has always been my biggest issue. So just like you mm-hmm. teach, you teach the thing you need to keep learning. I, right. uh, I've, I've taught a course on time mastery and really one, one of the, the ways in which we feel poor as individuals is we always feel like we're mm-hmm. rushing. We always feel like we mm-hmm. don't have enough time. And the truth is when, you know, if you meditate or if you take right. long walks or engage in any sort of ritual behavior, time can expand pretty much into infinity. And mm-hmm. when, when, when you start coming at life with that feeling of abundance, you know, it's kind of the same feeling you get when you eat a really well-cooked plant-based meal. It's, you know, mm-hmm. like I've never been anywhere else where people are like digging into this incredible you know, kale, you know, you know, massaged kale salad or, you know, rice and beans. And they've got these, this feeling. It's, it's like a transcendent feeling of being held by the earth, of being nourished, of being in a world in which, like, this, this world is our reward. It's not our punishment. 
Mm-hmm. And, and you know also, Howard, when you eat this way, eventually, maybe not right away, but for some people right away, you need a lot less sleep. I don't know why that is, but when I ate a junk food vegan diet or even a standard American diet, I needed 10, 11, 12 hours of sleep just to barely function, even with all that caffeine. Now it's like, I don't know, six or seven really, you know, set, you know, maybe eight some nights, but even seven is enough. And I, I don't wake, you know, I don't wake up with an alarm clock, but I just need a lot less sleep. Well, your 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 body's so doing doing a lot less work at night. It's not. It's, yeah, right? because it's, it's not digesting sixteen ounce steaks and all those mucus promoting dairy products and and you know and I'm pooping. You know, I think I think constipation makes people tired. I really do. You know. Right, and you know, and, and it it fits in with everything else, so that. You know, it's you know, I, I agree with you that for most people, food is primary um, because it's 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 our diet is so bad and it's such an easy easy thing to fix. You know, I, I try to mm-hmm. imagine like what sleep would what our sleep would be like if we had like the standard American night that was as bad mm-hmm. as the standard American diet. Wow. You know, we'd we'd be we'd be watching um, you know infomercials till four, and then we'd like doze. Oh my for t- gosh. We'd doze for like we get twelve percent of our sleep at night, and the rest of the time we'd be partying. Oh my gosh, I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it, you know, the other thing is things have got to shift because you know these people like they're well, my do- you know my doctor says it makes no difference, and that's just to me so egregious that they can even say that. Even if doctor says, well, you know, I don't know, why don't you try this? But so many of them. Just tell their patients, oh, no, it doesn't make any difference. And we know that's not true. You know, so they go there for their medications and injections for their rheumatoid arthritis and their MS because their doctor said, oh, no, diet makes no difference. When we have studies and and testimonials and medical research that proves it makes the utmost difference. And even if it didn't, wouldn't you think you wouldn't, wouldn't you want to try something like that first before spending 400 bucks on medication? I mean, I would. I'm cheap, so, you know. Yeah, I th- I think I think the the dearest commodity in the world today is hope. And I think people yep. are people have to be really desperate in order to spend their hope. Yeah. You know, if you give it to your doctor and your doctor says, "Well, here's the pill I'm going to give you and, you know, we're going to do some surgery on you and your insurance is going to cover most of it and you don't have to think and you don't have to believe anything. It's just going to, you know, you're just going to go on the conveyor belt. You don't have to spend hope. But if you're if you uh-huh. if you're going to say I'm going to heal myself through natural means, you know you're 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 taking a big leap of faith. I think that's terrifying for for people yeah. to the, you know even the thought that they would succeed is terrifying. Well, also this way they don't have to take responsibility because then if it fails they can blame the procedure, the pill, or the doctor. Yep, and and doctors yeah. know that if I if I do if I do an operation on you, you have a hundred percent compliance rate for that operation. If I tell you to eat better. Doctors are going to think, yeah. well, what, 2% of them are going to do it, and, and right. the rest aren't. Well, most doctors aren't doing it themselves, you know. I was just fortunate to just have a, a man come to my class who's a quadruple board certified medical doctor at one of our largest medical centers, Cedar sinai who is a vegan. And he, you know, and he has a reputation as the crazy vegan doctor. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what they call him at Cedars. You know, and again, it comes back to he's the crazy one? Really? Really? The one that, 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 that's tired of managing preventable diseases that actually wants to get his patients well, and then he has to put up with the abuse of being called the crazy vegan doctor. Oh, coward, there's so much work to do. I know. Isn't it fun? Aren't we? What, I know. What the I hell know, would, we, what would like, we be doing with ourselves? You, you'd, be, maybe, you'd be upside down playing two recorders through your nose and blowing exactly. bubbles. Exactly. 
Yeah, that's what I did on the Tonight Show. Or I'd just be sitting on a beautiful beach in Hawaii meditating. May I pay you a compliment? I mean, I don't know who listens to your show, but just if you don't mind, if people that are in the position to hire you as a speaker, I would like to say something about you because I was very, very impressed with you. You know, you had contacted me about speaking at Healthy Taste of LA, and we just didn't have a slot for you this year. We actually booked into next year. But I came to your lecture, and it was in the engineering building at Summerfest, which is one of the biggest buildings and one of the worst acoustics there. I think there was room for like 300 people. And your PowerPoint didn't work for whatever reason. And I have been, you know, watching professional speakers for years as a person that, you know, is in Toastmasters and then higher speakers. And you handled it with such aplomb that, I would have given you a job on the spot because I have been with people that we both know and professional speakers that when there's a glitch in the technology, they start freaking out. They start screaming at the people, at the volunteers. They start swearing. And it's just not a very cool thing to watch when you're trying to watch a speaker. And you handled it with such calm and such humor. I remember that you gave your talk. It was a great talk. And that every time you had a slide to refer to, you would take your hand and point to the screen and say, and if the slide was there, it would have said this. And it was just delightful. And I mentor people in Toastmasters now that are like, well, you know, I have to have a PowerPoint. I say, no, you don't have to have a PowerPoint because if you have to have a PowerPoint, you should never be a speaker because you have to be able to give your speech if the PowerPoint doesn't show up. And you did it, and you did it brilliantly. And I hope you do go to Toastmasters masters just because you, you you've got it nailed dude i mean you are impressive oh well, that's very kind i uh i talked I, 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 I talked to somebody yesterday about that exact story who was like well my powerpoint's not done i can't speak i said no that, that, that's not the condition of whether or not you can be a great speaker you're a great speaker without the powerpoint right well because you knew your it, subject matter in, in and you related to the audience yeah in, in 2000 i i gave a talk that uh, was far better attended than I had thought it was going to be, and I wasn't quite prepared, and I was relying on some technology that failed, and mm-hmm. I learned that day. Yep. Right. <laughs> right. Assume assume everything will fail. <laughs> right, and also you had a, the other thing that that I really liked about you is you didn't and had your slides work. I assume that you probably wouldn't just be reading off your slides, which is what many speakers do. You had a connection with the audience, and you know they always say in Toastmasters they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it was obvious that you cared deeply, and and I just really enjoyed uh, your talk and meeting you. And I would hire you as soon as I get a slot. But in case anybody's out there in a position to hire him, he is great. Oh well, thank you. And I, you know, I will. You're I will welcome. Say, I will say that this, you know, this opportunity to play in this world with people like you and, you know, uh-huh. the, the gratitude that I owe to Dr. Campbell for, for allowing me to collaborate with him and, uh, you know, and, and, and really going out of his way to support me and recommend me. Um, it is, it is such a privilege to yeah, be, I mean, to be yeah, doing like, this work. Yeah, it's like having your name on a book with him would be like if you were an actor and this was your first role, and it would be like starring Robert De Niro and Howard Jacobson. I mean, that's what it's like, you know, don't you think? I mean, you you really you hit the jackpot. Yeah, I'm you know yeah. I'm 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 in awe of my of my good fortune, and you know, there's people who get up every day and and do jobs that they don't really care about, and right. and to be able to be in this world, and you know. You know, the, it's a great world, and, and I hope more people will join it because it is great yeah. people, great food, and great health. What more yep. could you want? Oh, and I have to tell you one more thing, which is the the um, 
the Summerfest was now what, July, August, September. It's like two and a half months ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was already whole food plant-based, but not as, um, I would say not as, not as intensive as I could have mm-hmm. been. And I had just bought some, some new clothes, like right before then. I'm wearing the, mm-hmm. the jeans now. They're, they're now like, <laughs> Like belts don't even work, don't even help. I've right, lost, it's I've lost amazing. Like, I've lost like fifteen pounds just from the refinements, and it's and it's it, it's it felt it feels like the opposite of of deprivation. It feels like I've just you know I've traded in you know a, an old Yugo for for a for a Ferrari. Wow, you know, it's, it's, it's just it's just cool? total pleasure. I, you know, I really do believe, and again, you know, if we can't get people on board with telling them how horrible the environment's becoming, how cruelly animals are treated. Maybe at least we can use vanity because I really do believe this way of eating is, is reversing the aging process. Just from things like my gray hair is no longer gray, but I look better and younger than I did 20 years ago. And just somebody the other day, I had absolutely no makeup on. I only wear it when I speak. And somebody's, the lady I've been going to for my manicure for 10 years, she goes, you look so young. And I'm like, I'm like, well, what do you eat for breakfast? She goes, well, toast, ham, and egg. And I'm like, well, you know, I eat kale and sweet potatoes. So I really do believe that this is the fountain of youth, as close as we're going to get. And uh, you get slimmer. You know, Dr. McDougall, always, I quote him a lot, but he says, every year I get better looking and slimmer. And, and, he, and, and he really does. I just saw him in Portland. I'm like, yeah, you know, you do. I just keep eating this way. It will happen, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's and exciting. Then... To me, it's exciting. Right. That's, I mean, that's the thing, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, I have a lot of friends who are doing paleo and they will, they will, you know, because, because paleo is in so many ways an improvement over the standard American diet and because they're Uh taking responsibility and they're, and there's, most of them are not doing factory farms. They will look and feel better, um, in, you know, in the short term over, over a few Mm -hmm. months or a year. But I'm, I'm, you know, when I place my bet, I'm placing my bet on like the, the centenarians of Okinawa and Loma Linda. Right. And, and Colin Campbell and, you know, Cola Esselstyn who tumbles over, head over heels on a bicycle and a few weeks later is, is back up and exercising. Or Ruth Heidrich who runs marathons and approaching 80. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. It's so cool. Yeah, everybody I know that's paleo, get them at a wedding, and they're the first ones guzzling down the champagne and eating cake. Because you can't go without carbs. We are supposed to eat carbs. That's supposed to be what we eat most of our calories from, not meat. <laughs> yeah, and, you oh. know what, and, and, and really getting that. Like, I think even, even a lot of vegans and whole food plant-based people, there's, there's so much carbophobia right now that uh, there's, that, that you, even, you know, your, your brown rice or whatever, it comes with like a little dollop of guilt. Oh, tell me about it. Howard, this is so great. You had mentioned how your refinement lost you 15 pounds. Mine lost me 5 pounds. I was at True North teaching in August, and I was talking to the psychologist there, Doug Wild. I said, well, Doug, you know, I'm just really scared because they serve a, they, they serve a lot of uh, fruits and vegetables there, but they also serve grains. And I said, listen, you know, I'm, I, I eat potatoes. I'm not afraid to eat potatoes and sweet potatoes. I lost weight doing that. I'm staying slim, but I'm really afraid to eat, you know, rice and all that stuff. I'm afraid I'm going to get fat. And he said, well, let's do an experiment. Next time you're at True North, just just do it. And I guarantee that after 30 days, you're either going to 
weigh the same or maybe gain a pound more. And I figured, oh, he's crazy. So I went, I went to Big Bear for eight days for our, uh, to, to finish writing my next book. And I figured, okay, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm just going to do his little experiment there. And I loaded up on the brown rice. I was just, because I had been denying myself because I'm thinking, oh, rice is fattening. You know, potatoes somehow I can do, but, you know, and I was just eating like tons of rice every day with vegetables and other things. <laughs> I lost another five pounds from just, just upping my carbs and eating more rice with my potatoes, with my beans. And now it's like, I love rice and I've been afraid of it. I had that carbophobia too. But that's yeah. really, you can't get, you know, Dr. Google said there's a billion Asians eating white rice and they're not fat. So, yeah, I don't know where this carbophobia came from, but it's, it's, the, it's not the complex carbs that are the problem. It's the refined carbs, the flours and the sugars, not the whole foods like the potatoes and the beans and the rice. These are what we're supposed to eat. Right. I a couple of weeks ago, I had like a really bad day. Like, like there was nothing, you know, nothing in the fridge. I was running around like crazy. I didn't manage. And so all I had was like literally two bunches of bananas, <laughs> you know, maybe 15, <laughs> 15 bananas. And I like, that's all the, the only thing that I could eat without like going to some trouble. And, and during the course of the day, like all I ate was like 10 bananas. And I'm thinking, uh-huh. I don't really know how many calories are in a banana, but, you know, I don't count calories, but 10 bananas, no. like, that seems like an awful lot. So I looked it up, and according to some web database, there's 105 calories in the average banana, which means, right. like, eating bananas all day is basically, for me, like, eating dessert all day. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was still, you know, full of full of all the good stuff, full of the fiber, full of water, full of all the phytonutrients and and all the good stuff, antioxidants, magnesium, all that stuff. And I, mm-hmm. you know, it was like half of the standard American diet. And and I had to, I had mm. to like recalibrate because I think I was feeling a little bit guilty. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm not eating responsibly today. You know, and I've well, obviously no, you, like it, 10 bananas a day every day is probably not, you know, a good idea. There's a website, 20 bananas a day, because there are some raw foodists that eat that many. But I lo- I'm with you, Howard. I love bananas, frozen bananas room temperature bananas bananas are just oh, they're delicious yeah i'm planning on doing your um your recipe for the caramel apples with frozen bananas oh wow oh you know what you know what's great with frozen bananas i have a recipe called the peanut butter fudge truffles and so you make the chocolate fondue which is basically just date paste raw cacao powder and and some natural peanut butter or almond butter and then you let it chill a little bit and you dip bananas into it roll it into nuts and then you freeze it it's Frozen bananas, like like the kind that they had at Disneyland when I was little, so good. Ooh, page sixty-four. Yeah, that you will love. Page sixty-four yeah, page of unprocessed. Yeah. yeah, you would love that. Most kids, regular people, love that recipe. That's a good one. It's very good. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, and anything uh, you wish I'd asked that I haven't. No, you, you did great. I mean, I, you, I, it was just wonderful you summarizing my, my, my first 40 years because when you said it was like, I'm like, you know, I think about Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite movies of all time, where Clarence the Angel shows him what his life would have been like had he not been born. And he mm. said, you know, you really had a wonderful life. And when you read that to me, it's like, cause I don't think of myself as somebody with panic disorder anymore or, or any of those diseases I had. And even if I had them right now, I'm not my disease. But, but when I look at them, I'm like, shit, you know, I did really have a hard life. But again, you know, it, it's again that, you know, the journey, the overcoming of it is just, it, you know, I always tell people that, that don't want to eat the way I eat, people that are serious addicts. 
And I always refer them to the movie Flight with Denzel Washington, where the last line of the movie where he's in jail, he said, for the first time in my life, I'm finally free. And the freedom from the addiction, or if you're not an addict, whatever it is, the heart disease, the cancer, the diabetes, the freedom from the disease, it feels so much better than the disease. And I, I just I just wish people the peace that I that I experience. This is what I, you know, I really want to help people, as I know you do too. And the food is one way to do it. And, and it's, I think, the most important way. And if, I, I wish they could somehow just for five minutes magically feel the energy that I feel eating this way and what I'm able to accomplish. And, and, and this is what I want for them. And they can have it too. I mean, they can have this. I'm not saying it's easy. It's pretty simple what they have to do. Eat fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes without sugar, oil, salt, and maybe a few nuts and seeds. It's simple, but I understand it's not easy. And they're going to need, like you say, community and probably support. But, you know, just do it. Like you said, I say 30 days, you say 10 days. How about, how about 10 minutes? How about one meal? You know? Mm-hmm. Just a bite at a time. We're out saving the world a bite at a time. And I, I, I just really wish the best for people. And, and, and I wish they would try that, even the paleo people, because I don't believe anybody that's paleo has ever really tried the plant-based diet in the, in the healthy form of the whole food plant-based, you know, SOS-free, because because I've never met anybody that felt worse doing this, ever. Well, here, here let, me, let me tell you before we go what I think your great power is as, mm-hmm. as an educator and an influencer. Um, one, one of my neighbors is a, a really gifted healer, and I was talking to her about what she does and how she does it, and she said she, she learned from a healer, um, a hypnotherapist named Milton Erickson. And what, yeah. he, what he said, you know, he had all these techniques, and people came from all over the world to study his techniques. And he said, you know, the techniques are fine. But really what healed was he would come into the session and connect to the part of his patient who was already healed. Like yeah. he, could, he could see their wholeness. He could see them in their completeness, even while they were in the, in the, the dregs of their disease. And I think because you have been through so much, there's, you know, there's, there's almost no, there's almost no one who can stand in front of you and say, I am more broken than you were. That you mm-hmm. can, and you can look at them and you can see them healed. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think more than your recipes, more than your energy, that is the gift that you're mm, sharing with people. I love it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, That's I'm beautiful. certain that it's true. And, you know, and all your energy and all your recipes and all your knowledge flow from that. And mm. so I just I, I want to sort of honor and thank you for your contribution because it's it's well, thank so you. so meaningful and so profound and it's having ripples far beyond where either of us can imagine. All right, thank you, and thank you for whole and like again yeah, the message to eat whole food W H O L E as opposed to whole food H O L E, which are donuts <laughs> and bagels, you know. So that's the thing. People are eating whole food, but not with the capital right. W. Oh, and pork rinds. They're they're round too. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if they have a hole in the middle. So, you know, pizza bagels. Oh, like, well, what people consider food. My grandmother would turn over in her grave if she knew what people were eating now. It's food. Hmm. Right. Or 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 she would have thought, wow, to be able to eat one meal a year like that would be amazing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny, hard because the people that invented this processed food, if you talk to them, a lot of them are retired now or, or very elderly. They said that when, when it came about, like in the late 50s, Betty Crocker, Swanson's TV dinner, they didn't, they thought of it as a convenient thing for an occasional use when the mother had a PTA meeting at night or something. They had no idea that this would be people's diets 
you know, three meals a day, 365 days a year. They'll, they'll even tell you that, that they had no way to foresee that this was going to be the case. But, you know, that's what happens when you introduce an addictive substance to people. It becomes addictive. Right. And as Michael Moss says, you know, the, the biggest addicts are the companies themselves, ad- you know, addicted to their quarterly uh, share price. Oh, God, I love there, it. I love it. There is, it. there is addicted as the rest of yeah, it all comes down to corporate greed. Like Gordon Gecko said, greed is good, I guess. But oh, so much work to be done. Yep, and here and here we are, privileged to uh, shoulder to shoulder do it. Yep, and we get to stand on the shoulders of the Colin Campbells and the Dr. Esselstyns, and it's and they're the, for the, through them we grow tall. Yep, right on. Well, yep. Chef, Chef, Chef AJ, if people want to find out more about you and learn from you, where should they go? They should go to eatunprocessed.com, www, the word eat before the word unprocessed, the name of my book, eatunprocessed.com is probably the best way they can sign up for my mailing list. If they're interested in attending an in-person event, go to healthytasteofla.com. Even though it's Healthy Taste of LA, we also produce events in other parts of California. All right. I'll put those two links up on the on the podcast so people can just scr- um, scroll down a bit and, or, or up a bit and, and find those links and follow you. And... Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a, a real pleasure and oh, an honor to shoot the breeze with you. It's been a real treat for me. All right. Well, take care. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. Bye. Bye.